Excess for Podcasts is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For more podcasts about movies, nostalgia, and pop culture, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. I need a hero. I'm holding up for a hero till the end of the night. He's gotta be strong and he's gotta be fast and he's gotta be fresh on the fight. Hey everybody and welcome to the first exciting Champions episode of X's for Podcast. You probably know me from the last episode of X's for Podcast where my co-host Jonah and I covered Uncanny X-Men. But like we said early on, this project isn't just about Uncanny X-Men, it's about THE Uncanny X-Men. And This episode is going to be all about the Champions, which was the home for Angel and Iceman for 17 issues. And with me, I couldn't be more excited. We're best buddies. Whether it's comics and nerdy stuff or it's weightlifting, we're both like super fitness obsessed. We have each other's backs in everything. And so I knew that there would be nobody I could better rely on to come in here and help me and Jonah and Kevo pull this show off than my buddy Kyle. Welcome to the Cage Club Network. It's super great to have you here. Thanks. It's great to be here. I've been lucky enough to get to introduce a number of people to the network at this point. It's been a lot of fun. You've read a number of the years of X-Men. It really felt like a good fit to have you come on and cover these characters with me. The whole world knows by now that I got into comics thanks to my dad. We started with Frank Miller and John Romita Jr.'s Daredevil the Man Without Fear 1 through 5 from 1993. Then I moved on over to the X-Men crossovers, you know, your mutant massacres, Fall of the Mutants, Inferno, that kind of stuff. Kyle, you're a blank slate, buddy. Tell us a little about yourself. Growing up, I really didn't have much experience with comics. We didn't have a local comic store near us, so I wasn't really aware of anything. I watched, like, the X-Men cartoon, but that's pretty much it. My first foray into comics was actually with the webcomic Arcade, and then I kind of dropped off of things for quite a few years, and about five years ago, I decided to give it uh, another try, and I found a comic book store picked up some Marvel comics, and immediately fell in love with the X-Men. I mean, how could you not? The X-Men just have so much to fall in love with, so it's it's really cool that we both kind of gravitated toward the same team. Right. Tell me, what are you hoping to get out of this? You know, we're going to be doing these deep reads of some unusual things. I know you're going to be with me for the entirety of Champions, which... Uh, what are you hoping to get from this experience? I've had a chance to read some of the older comics, but there's quite a bit that I haven't been able to find at this point. So I'm really looking forward to being able to see some of the characters that I enjoy when they're not in Uncanny X-Men. Well, I have some good news and I have some bad news for you. Throughout the course of this experiment, we're going to be covering a number of titles. We're going to be crossing over into just about any book you can find X-Men. If they have a limited series, a guest appearance, an event, or just a simple two-parter. If the X-Men are there, we're there too. The bad news, however, is you will not enjoy anything we discuss this episode featuring featuring the X-Men because this is bad. Oh, the champions, man. Yeah, this is rough. Uh, the Champions were created, it would seem, as a response to Uncanny X-Men's successful relaunch. Giant Size X-Men number one came out in April of 1975, and it featured a number of the original X-Men in various either supporting or main roles. Cyclops is a big fixture. He was a main feature in the story, and when it was recut for X-Men Classic, he was even more a main story feature. Beast completely absent from Giant Size X-Men, despite being on the cover. 
anyway, so Chris Claremont, he ultimately kept using Scott and Jean. Beast already belonged to the Avengers, and that left Iceman and Angel with nowhere to go. They wound up here, in the Champions, with a number of other second stringers who had all recently either left or been kicked out of books. We will be covering the Champions 1 through 10 today. The Champions 1 through 10, it's sort of a weird thing to discuss how this book came out. It does definitely read like three different people wrote this. Definitely. All over the place. Some of the breaks aren't even clean. One of the arcs is written the first issue by one guy and then someone else finishes it. It's it's pretty rough. So to cover really quickly the creative credits on Champions 1 through 10, Tony Isabella writing issues 1 through 3 and 5 through 7. The guy we just can't get away from on this show for the next 200 episodes, Chris Claremont guest wrote issue four and then bill mantlo who did appear in the first episode as plot assist on uncanny x-men 96 finished off issues eight through ten the art is equally disjointed but strangely enough it doesn't break up in the same way the art is also by three creators don heck did the pencils on issues one two and five we have george tusca on issues three four, six, and seven before Bob Hall comes on to do the final three issues with Bill Mantlo. Also of note is how inconsistent the shipping on this book was. The first issue came out in October of 1975, and the next issue didn't come out until January of 76. The book ran monthly through April before switching to a bi-monthly schedule with number six. Number six coming out in June, seven in August, 8 in October and 9 in December of 1976, with January of 77 seeing the release of issue 10. Just even talking about how disjointed the process that went into this book was, it's not hard to see why we're going to be talking about it the way we are. But the first thing we have to do, let's give the audience a quick rundown of what we're covering today. The Champions 1 through 3. Iceman and Angel, having left the X-Men following the events of Giant Size X-Men number 1, have enrolled at UCLA where they discover that college just isn't their thing. They discuss their options when they're attacked by mythological creatures. Meanwhile, Black Widow is waiting for a job interview while she and her handler, Ivan, reflect on leaving Daredevil. Suddenly, Amazons appear and attack. Ghost Rider randomly drives onto campus and is packed by Cerberus, while Hercules is preparing for a lecture when he's attacked by mutates. They all band together, but are taken down by Pluto. It's revealed that Pluto is plotting to overthrow Zeus by forcing Venus to marry Ares, and Hercules to marry the Queen of the Amazons, so they can't fight back. The Huntsman defeats the team, and kidnaps Hercules and Venus. After taking a break to lounge in their swim gear, the team invades Olympus and reveals the truth to Zeus. Champions number four. Black Widow and Hercules are attacked and kidnapped by an insane doctor. They are then somehow mind-controlled into fighting the other champions. Black Widow breaks free thanks to the power of friendship. The day is saved, the bad guy gets torn apart by his other test subjects, and Angel tries to convince everyone to continue working together. Champions 5-6 through Angel learns that he has inherited an insane amount of money, and who cares that he had to lose his parents in order for that to happen. Meanwhile, the 1970s economic recession hits the Marvel Universe, where Stark Industries has effectively driven a competing inventor out of business, making him lose his mind. Ivan tries to convince Black Widow not to join the champions, but she realizes that they're all misfits, and that means they need to stick together. Rampage attacks... The champions can't figure out how to work together, and they barely win before Rampage tries to blow everyone up. Champions 7 through 10. It's all about Black Widow as figures from her and Ivan's past begin showing up. Darkstar and Griffin strike at Rampage's hospital to take him from the champions, while the Titanium Man captures Black Widow. 
Rampage brings the news of her capture and then blows himself up again. The team splits up to deal with kidnappings, saving exploding bad guys, and PR bits before being defeated by Crimson, Dynamo, Griffin, and Titanium Man. The men of the champions wake to find themselves captured in an underground box. We get backstory about Crimson Dynamo, aka Ivan's son. The champions fight amongst themselves again, while the bad guys also fight amongst themselves. Darkstar has a change of heart and frees the champions. More fighting ensues. Darkstar ultimately changes sides, and they all defeat the bad guys. Okay, when we were talking about the uncanny plots, even the issues we didn't really care for, or the classic stories, we were kind of like, well, you know, it's still a pretty good issue, and, and we're free to be pretty critical of it, because there's still so many good things about- no, not here. Let's talk about these champions. I just can't figure out if they're the champions. Who who lost? Is it us? Did we lose? I think um, we did. I think we really did, buddy. I really think we did. I want to start with the team. Angel and Iceman from the X-Men. Right. Like, that's that's important. We like them. We do. So the first thing they're doing, they're just talking about how bummed out they are about their current situation. Help me out if I'm completely wrong here, but I do not feel the Iceman or, or the Angel have a personality. <laughs> it is much more like they have memories they reference as personality. I agree with you completely. Yeah, they don't seem to be people. They seem to be a series of thoughts, I guess. I don't think anybody in this book has a definitive voice that is different from anybody else in this book, with one exception. He's probably the most annoying part of the book, and we'll get to that in a second. But, like, I know you and I came to this for X-Men, so we came for these two characters, and they probably suck two of the hardest. Yes, exactly. They feel very wooden. They don't feel consistent. I really like that you said not consistent because we're going to talk about consistent behavior and bathing suits and dead families. We have a whole lot of stuff to sink into. So then we have Black Widow. For those of you playing along at home, you probably didn't read the Daredevil run with Black Widow. I'm doing this from memory, so please work with me, guys. I think it runs roughly Daredevil 81 to Daredevil 130-ish. Daredevil temporarily becomes Daredevil and Black Widow. It's a team-up title, and they move out to California together. Their paths initially cross thanks to a legal plot. Ivan is a part of that. You see her past pop-up sometimes. You see Matt's past pop-up. They just broke up. Matt's heading back to New York. She's doing her Black Widow thing, jumping around title to title. She's been Iron Man's love interest at this point. She's been in the event. They've been all over the place. So what was it like coming in and expecting to see like, ah, oh, the Black Widow and and getting this? It wasn't anything that I was expecting. It was very lackluster. Just, yeah, I was going to guess disappointing. Yeah. Then shows up Hercules. Now, if you're not aware at this point in the Marvel Universe, Hercules can be a stand-in for Thor. If Thor needs to be off doing his Thor thing in a Thor title, and they need somebody else to step up in Avengers, they could throw Hercules onto the Avengers, and they would be no worse for wear. They would still have a god with who's a heavy hitter. He would still be larger than life. It's like hard sometimes to take Thor seriously when he's like, have at thee and he's wearing, like, you know, Renfair clothes. But I think it's harder to take gay leather harness later hosen Hercules seriously. You're I right. Mean, <laughs> he's Seriously, it looks like Bear Knight at the Hofbrau house, and I just don't know what to do with it. I've read bits of Ghost Rider over the years. I kind of knew what I was in for, but I guess I'd never really read 70s Ghost Rider before. Ghost Rider might be the most annoying character in the history of comic books, just maybe. I mean, I honestly don't even understand why he's here. 
I really don't either. Now, that's my next point. Convocation that brings the champions together doesn't really do anything for me. Let's talk for a second about this opening arc. It's sort of like they're all chased separately by these myth monsters. You have two pretty boy mutants, an ex-Russian ballerina super spy. You have Satan on a bicycle and a gay leather bear. Your first thought is, I know, arranged marriage storyline. That is the plot, right? I didn't read the wrong thing. No, that's what I read too. We're reading The Adventures of the Island of Misfit Super Toys. The plot of the book seems to be all of these vaguely second stringers have to come together to champion those who need champion. I. The first arc is so unfocused. It feels like a series of small happenstances that are supposed to come together to forge a story. It does. Nothing really melds correctly. It's just... All these instances of the characters getting attacked. It's like fight on fight on fight on fight on fight. And like every time, it's not like they ever win. No, 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 no. It's they run away. And sometimes they run away really stupidly. I have this enormous problem with one of the major plots of this arc. One of the major plots of this arc is Iceman is like, oh no, there's a portal. I'm going to ice it closed. No, that's not what ice does. No. So then it's time to bring up a couple of things that drove me a little crazy. They introduced this villain, the Huntsman, and it's just like villain on villain on villain on villain, like shoehorned into this fucking thing. It seems to be an issue throughout this entire series, not just this plot. A hundred percent. So they send in the Huntsman, who has this like paralyzing fire spear, which is so powerful, it even works on a god like Hercules. But Ghost Rider is like, oh, it didn't work on me. The powers of Satan protected me. I'm so lucky. I think the other thing that I kind of have a problem with with this book, I understand it's an Avengers thing that, you know, you have Hawkeye on the same team you have Thor, so you have Hercules on the same team you have Black Widow. But like, I kind of don't accept this group of people going up against gods and doing well. No, I think that the really the only one that would do somewhat well is Hercules. Everybody else is mortal. The other really, like, major problem with this book is, as Kyle said before, the characters are really inconsistent. So, at the end of the second issue, the champions have faltered in their plan. All hope is lost. Pluto has Venus and Polita and uh, Hercules and everything's doomed. Right then and there, the only way Black Widow and Angel can make themselves feel better is to get into fabulous bathing suits. And don't forget that Iceman decides to go ice skating. Iceman has to skate his feelings out, you guys. Mm -hmm. And so then in the course of this, Ghost Rider is like, it comes to him. He solves it. He knows. And he goes rushing home like hell on wheels. Oh, fuck me. Ghost Rider heads home and Ghost Rider's like, gee golly guys, I know how to save Hercules. And everybody else is like, you can't possibly, you have a terrible sense of humor. And he's like, ah ha ha, bad joke. And they're like, oh, you son of a bitch. Ghost Rider's like, don't you see? And they're all like, no, we don't see. And Black Widow is like, how don't you see? Now I see. And everybody's like, oh, well, if even the Black Widow sees. And Black Widow is like, but of course I see. I might not like Ghost Rider, but I see now. Like, shut up, all of you. Just say it. Instead of talking for four pages, how about you just say the thing on your mind? This is a matter of life and death. That is the thing we complained about the most in the first episode. We complain about it any time there's heroes infighting with heroes, pretty much. Every issue. It was seriously like several times an issue in some cases. Mm-hmm. Ghost Rider fights with everybody. Yep. Yeah, I 
look, I don't have anything else on this arc. The day is saved at the end of the day. Fights that don't make any sense suddenly make sense, and people they couldn't beat before they can suddenly beat now. Pluto's first energy blast knocked them all to the ground. At another point in this arc, Angel gut punches him or something, and he's like, oof! And I'm just like, no. No, no, no. No, no, no. Kyle, what did you think of this arc, ultimately? It was a very poor start to the series. It's gonna be hard to get better. Yeah, and you know, I gotta be real with you, buddy. The next three didn't get any better. We hopped on over to a a Claremont-penned one-shot. So the plot of this issue is Black Widow and Hercules are kind of like a little bit talking about the events of the first three issues, but in a way that's very... Hercules is like, it doesn't feel over to me. And Black Widow is like, shut up. If we don't talk about it, it goes away. It's almost like Claremont making fun of the last arc because, you know, he's just filling in on this. They're attacked, they're kidnapped, they're brainwashed, they're turned evil, they're sent against the champions. Natasha lands a hit on Ivan, it snaps her out of it. They save the day. Champions once again are like, oh, well, I guess we need to be a team. I want to point out, though, I think it should be harder to possess a spy and a god. It really should be. Here, this dude, this fucking guy, I'm going to name him like Robbie Quixit. Robbie Quixit <laughs> is like, I got the mind control whammy, and now you're both bad guys? The other thing about it is the champions keep being like, we need to be the champions for the little people. We need to be the champions for the little people. I have to make a point here, actually, though. Other than 5, 6, and even then, it's kind of tangential. The champions actually don't save other people. They mostly have to save each other. This is five superheroes and like a personal emotional crisis twilight. The first arc is about saving Hercules. Then there's this where Hercules and Black Widow are both victims and then turn the other members of the team into victims. The next arc is just stupid. But then the final arc is all about saving Black Widow. The champions don't champion anything. They don't save anyone. They mostly just sit around, get mind controlled and attack each other. It's really dumb. Really is. And sometimes they even attack each other when they're not mind-controlled. Do you have anything about issue four? Because issue four is a footnote to me. No, there's really nothing to it at all, which is really sad for something that Chris Claremont wrote. This is really before he's at his peak. But once again, though, 5-6, I just don't feel like anything really happened here. Kyle, talk to me a little bit about 5-6, because I kind of remember us, when we were talking about it, we both had a very specific reaction to Angel's sequence. We're reading this for Angel and Iceman primarily. They had just about no presence in issue 4, but issue 5 opens up on a scene that paints them in a a really unattractive light. It starts with Angel sitting in his attorney's office. He's finding out that he's getting a huge inheritance, and he celebrates. I kind of do want to give a little bit of background here. Angel is an interesting character. You've read the Stan Lee run of the original X-Books, like 1 to 20, right? Yes, yes. Stan Lee had trouble nailing a teenager's voice. It works in Spider-Man because there's only one teenager you really get the mental perspective of, and that works for him. But with Uncanny X-Men, Beast kind of reads like a crotchety old man. Warren sort of reads the exact same as Tony Stark, like a careless playboy. Bobby is so immature. I've actually never been able to understand... My favorite characters are like Daredevil, Wolverine, John Constantine, so I'm really easy to make fun of back. But like, I've never understood either Angel or Iceman being anybody's favorite X-Man. I've always felt like neither one has a tremendous amount of personality. They both have a tremendous amount of potential. What's interesting is, somewhere in those first six issues of X-Men, Angel actually gets his own solo story. 
He's the first X-Man to get a solo story. There's like a 12-page Angel solo story where we find out a little bit more about him being the avenging angel. His family didn't know he was a mutant. They're not crazy about it. They wanted him to chain up his wings. This is like his really only thing in, in his stories at this point. Like everybody got something. Iceman didn't really have anything. Iceman had being the immature one. So when we said about the first arc instead of having personalities they have a string of references i really think that by this point it's starting to shine through iceman just seems to be frustrated that the champions isn't becoming what he wants and angel's only drive seems to be form the champions use your money do good with your parents legacy which i'm not like shitting on but they still don't feel like characters here right i mean for me it's reads more like Iceman's frustrated with how his life is going. He's not happy with being a superhero at all. Yeah, I feel like the story they're telling with Iceman here is he never really wanted to be a superhero. He thought the X-Men was a family. Kyle, you listened to the first episode, right? I did. Had you been aware of the X-Men classic sequence prior to that? Prior to that? No, not at all. They decided to reprint the Chris Claremont X-Men stories, starting with Giant Size X-Men number one in a book called X-Men Classic. They would revise the content to be accurate for retcons. They would add two to three pages, sometimes as little as one page, to the original story. The artists on that varied, as well as supremely talented penciler John Bolton doing the classic X-Men backup stories. These were stories that they added to bridge the gap because it had been a bi-monthly book. They didn't get to tell as many stories. They added to Giant Size X-Men number one this awesome back-at-the-mansion story, and in it, Iceman is so unwilling to share his home with Banshee, Colossus and Nightcrawler that he bullies Colossus so badly that Colossus debates returning home to Russia. Moments later, Thunderbird tries to talk to Bobby and be like, hey man, I get it. It's hard sometimes if you want to talk. And he literally ice blasts him. It's the most ridiculous fucking thing I've ever seen. That really, really hurts my view of ice. This was done years later. The original Giant Size X-Men, like we said, came out in April of 1975. But the X-Men classic story that adds that moment, that was released in, I believe it was September of 86. It was just, it's a really weird choice to make Iceman such a dick. I think we can even talk about 5 and 6, like, straight into 10. There is sort of like a, a crossover element that ties 5 and 6 to 7 and 8. There's a businessman who is real sad that his life turned out the way... I don't even quite understand his motivation, but stuff's bad for him. So he uses this robot suit he's been working on to become a supervillain named Rampage. It kind of looks like he was in a terrible car accident, and this is the brace that's helping him learn to walk again, mixed with a mocap suit, and it's really not threatening. Not the at other all. Problem, three issues ago, weren't they literally fighting gods? They were. And not like a little bit fighting gods. They were like legit fighting gods, right? Right. Now they're getting defeated by the dude recording the animation for Gollum? Yeah, they make it sound like his technology was comparable to Iron Man, because Iron Man won out the contract that this guy was buying for. Okay, but then send him to Iron Man. Make him an Iron Man villain. It's Angel, Iceman, it's a fucking god. It's one of the greatest spies of all time. 
I just did something that actually does come back up. I just kind of pretended Ivan didn't exist, which is really shitty. Yeah. And ultimately, Ivan disappears at some point. Writers just stopped using him because it was a weird thing for her to constantly have like a Guy Friday following her around. It is a and little weird. He shows back up as like the fourth Ronin and wants his revenge on the widow for forgetting about him. <laughs> it's not bad, but it's laughable that Ivan comes back. Okay, so Rampage, bad guy in a suit. It literally takes a god, a super spy, an element force of nature, an old guy who follows a lady around, <laughs> and a millionaire. To defeat him, he comes right back the next arc? Yep. This next arc promises us on the cover of Seven, the man who created the Black Widow returns. And it's an ending you'll never believe. They... Added to Giant Size X-Men number one, this awesome back-at-the-mansion story, and in it, Iceman is so unwilling to share his home with Banshee, Colossus, and Nightcrawler that he bullies Colossus so badly that Colossus debates returning home to Russia. Moments later, Thunderbird tries to talk to Bobby and be like, hey man, I get it, it's hard sometimes if you want to talk, and he literally ice blasts him. It's the most ridiculous fucking thing I've ever seen. That really, really hurts my view of ice. This was done years later. The original Giant Size X-Men, like we said, came out in April of 1975, but the X-Men classic story that adds that moment, that was released in, I believe it was September of 86... It was just, it's a really weird choice to make Iceman such a dick. I think we can even talk about 5 and 6, like, straight into 10. There is sort of, like, a, a crossover element that ties 5 and 6 to 7 and 8. There's a businessman who is real sad that his life turned out the way... I don't even quite understand his motivation, but stuff's bad for him. So he uses this robot suit he's been working on to become a supervillain named Rampage. It kind of looks like he was in a terrible car accident, and this is the brace that's helping him learn to walk again, mixed with a mocap suit, and it's really not threatening. Not the at other all. problem, three issues ago, weren't they literally fighting gods? They were. And not, like, a little bit fighting gods. They were, like, legit fighting gods, right? Right. Now they're getting defeated by the dude recording the animation for Gollum. Yeah, they make it sound like his technology was comparable to Iron Man because Iron Man won out the contract that this guy was buying for. Okay, but then send him to Iron Man. Make him an Iron Man villain. It's Angel, Iceman, it's a fucking god. It's one of the greatest spies of all time. I just did something that actually does come back up. I just kind of pretended Ivan didn't exist, which is really shitty. Yeah. And ultimately, Ivan disappears at some point. Writers just stopped using him because it was a weird thing for her to constantly have like a Guy Friday following her around. It is a and little weird. He shows back up as like the fourth Ronin and wants his revenge on the widow for forgetting about him. <laughs> it's not bad, but it's laughable that Ivan comes back. Okay, so Rampage, bad guy in a suit. It literally takes a god, a super spy, an element force of nature, an old guy who follows a lady around, <laughs> and a millionaire. To defeat him, he comes right back the next arc? Yep. This next arc promises us on the cover of Seven, the man who created the Black Widow returns. And it's an ending you'll never believe. 
But Kyle, do you have anything you want to say before we walk away from Champions 1 through 10? I can't get my hopes up for the rest of the series. I'm glad that there's only, what, seven more issues? You know, I'm glad you said something about that, because I feel the same way. I feel like I'm not going to get my hopes up. There's really nothing feel excited to keep reading. The Champions was canceled prematurely. More issues of Champions had been plotted and written than would ultimately have room to run. So instead, they moved them around, and they made some of them, like, issues of other titles. So we're going to be covering a lot of books. While there's only seven more issues of The Champions, we have something like 12 or 13 issues to go in discussing The Champions, as well as two additional appearances from Iceman and Angel in Marvel 2-in-1 featuring The Thing. This is the second string book full of second stringers. This isn't even the second stringer book I'm interested in. This is a second stringer book that that makes me mad. Maybe if they had worked better together, I'd be more motivated to enjoy. But with all the infighting, it's really annoying. Kyle, you came into this to read Iceman. And man, what a shock you've been in for this whole Uh, time. Yes. Whether it's the X-Men classic story, which is a gut punch, or whiny frostical over here, Iceman probably wasn't the only disappointment you faced. Tell me a little bit more for you about the conceptual idea of the character you came into this with versus the champion reality. (laughs) So I kind of think of Iceman as like a lovable goofball. So coming to this, it was like, oh... Bobby is really whiny, and he's complaining that he doesn't fit in, and he wants to leave and stop, and he's worried about his family finding out, and stuff like that. And then he starts attacking his teammates. Really? This is not who I was expecting. Let's see, Angel... I don't really have a lot of experience with him. I mean, I'm familiar with what he goes through in X-Factor, but really seems like in here the writers were really struggling with what to do with him. Because really his only useful ability is being able to fly. And money. But he doesn't have the money in the first four issues. You're really pointing out some stuff that I completely agree with you. They spend more time talking about Angel's costume changes. Oh my god. (laughs) Especially in that He has, what, three in this? We keep making fun of the fact that they keep trying to form the champions, even though there's no reason to form it. But there's this one point at which Angel is like, we're going to announce the champions. And due to a thousand things going on in that fourth arc, only Hercules is on the stage with Angel when he announces the champions. It's so dumb. It's even weirder because it puts Angel back in his X-Men costume Mm -hmm. in new colors. You're absolutely right. He really just kind of shows up, flies into people, has money, wants to form the champions. That's not a personality, though. That's a Tickle Me Elmo doll. Exactly. There was one point where they gave him a golden mace, and then later on, Hercules has it. I would love it if they did do something interesting with Angel and Iceman, but, you know, I came into this looking to see the adventures of two X-Men at a point in their careers where they're not X-Men, and something occurred to me. I've read... These guys' appearances in X-Factor, I've read their stuff when they're back in X-Men. None of these things come up except when people are like, oh, right, they were champions. Mm. This is 17 issues uh, for these two characters that we're going to keep reading we really didn't need. Right. It doesn't really grow them at all. At all. What's really funny is I realized I said earlier that we were going to talk about all the characters, and I was going to talk about how the Ghost Rider is the most annoying character in the Champions, and I realized that we were so ready to savage the book we didn't. 
Um, <laughs> Ghost Rider is really annoying. He just shows up. He just kind of like says asshole shit and then rides off. Not in a cool way. Like, not like the way Luke Cage always has something to say to somebody. Like, if Luke Cage is walking out of the room, he's going to fucking lay it down, and you're going to be like, damn, Luke Cage just schooled me, and I've grown. And everyone's going to be like, yeah, Luke Cage is a cool badass, right? Like, or Logan. Logan says, like, wise shit. Ghost Rider kind of shows up and is like, I'm going to fart on the things you love. Fire, fire, my head's a skull. Yeah, Nicolas Cage. Like, tell me what it was like for you, Kyle, because I'm pretty sure you had less Ghost Rider experience than me. I've had absolutely no experience whatsoever with him. I didn't realize that he was part of the Marvel Universe. Like I said earlier, I don't understand why he's in this book. He comes and goes. It's like he tries to be funny, but every time he tries, it doesn't work. I hate to make this pun, but he is a total unlikable hothead. He is. So Black Widow... Hercules. When you think Avengers, you probably think Black Widow. When yes. you think Avengers, you probably don't think Hercules. When you think Hercules, you probably think pleading the gods, going the distance. I just have to like go to Roger uh. Bart in my head. That like perfect jaw tremor. Ugh, God, Roger Bart singing Go the Distance. Something Kyle and I both share is a passionate love of Disney as well. Okay, uh. right? So tell Ready? me, Hercules, Black Widow, blow my mind, buddy. Okay. Everything that I know about her is from the movies. So I was expecting her to just be super capable and using hand-to-hand combat. I was surprised with how easily she was captured multiple times. I was shocked. I've read this era. I've read her. This is a terrible showing for you to get to know her. I feel terrible. I honestly didn't realize that those things on her forearms actually had utility. Her widow's by... I was completely surprised that those things actually did anything. Yeah, you know, I'm used to her using them, maybe even a bit more than this. I thought this was a little toned down for her. I'm eager to hear your opinion on Hercules. Again, I didn't realize that he was even part of the Marvel Universe. I'm struggling to see if there's any potential for character growth for him because, I mean, he's, he's been alive for, what, thousands of years since ancient Greek times? And he's still struggling with the ways of the modern world. Like, he doesn't know what football is. Yeah, that football playing scene kind of got on my nerves. It sometimes does seem like there's times Hercules is like, Oh, I can fly this stealth fighter. Look the fuck out. I got this. And then there's times Hercules is like, what are people? It's almost offensive. Yeah. I do want to say a couple of nice things. The splash pages in the book were really beautiful. Hercules is always big and sexy and hot. Oh, yeah. Built. Oh, yeah. And, like, he'll totally disagree with it. But I kept thinking it was really funny that we were reading this together because I think Kyle has a pretty similar build to Hercules. He's just incredibly wide. He's just got, like, that, like, incredible width. And it's really funny because if Hercules is in the panel, there's just about nothing else in the panel. (laughs) (laughs) He's just so big. That's something I love, especially being an Alan Davis, Captain Britain fan. I love when someone has, like, you know, size to them. A nice John Romita Jr. Superman. It was really cool that Black Widow was the leader. I really that. liked that as well. Um, I was I was actually surprised that that happened at this point in time in comics. I liked that Angel and Iceman aren't in X-Men for a little bit. The X-Men that have retained from the original team are Gene and Scott. Havoc and Polaris have popped up here and there. 
Angel doesn't appear until the Dark Phoenix saga. For a while, he keeps his distance from the X-Men, which Kyle will actually be covering the Dark Phoenix saga with us because Kyle, not to get too ahead of ourselves, but will be our Dazzler representative as well. Woohoo! I feel terrible, but the more I think about it, Kyle's reading literally all the worst books. It's not something you're supposed to do to your best buddy. It's okay. Somebody has to take one for the team. I actually made a couple of comments to Kyle during our reading that, to be honest, I felt a little bit like even though the majority of the first six issues had all been written by Tony Isabella, I felt at times like Tony Isabella hadn't read the previous arc. <laughs> it was really weird. It's true. I guess that's really just about it for us over here. Kyle, it's been so great kicking off Champions with you. I'm really excited. You and I have so many exciting stories to go. We're going to do great things, buddy. I'm looking forward to it. Me too. Until next time, buddy, where can your awesome fans find you? You guys can find me on Twitter where I tweet a lot about Disney and politics and stuff, as well as Instagram, Drantis82, it's D-R-A-N-T-I-S-8-2. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction, that's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. If you want to check out my music, you can check it out at Facebook.com slash ActionDuo. Yes, that is Duo, D-U-O, tells you that there's two of us. And, you know, I don't just love to talk about comics, I can't believe I got this far without plugging it even once. I love to make comics. Along with my husband and our amazing partners, Taryn and Tori, we make a book called Riot Squad, as well as its sister book, Capes and Boots. It's an inclusive, diverse book. We have over 600 pages of content available on our website over at KidRiotComics.com. That's K-I-D-R-I-O-T-C-O-M-I-C-S.com. Gee, do I have to spell anything else? No, but you should, please, if you're checking us out over here, maybe you don't check out all the amazing other shows on Cage Club. You can find me occasionally showing up on different movie shows from time to time. I just did that weird push to get on all the third times a charm. Let's see how that went. As always, you can catch me twice a month every month on Now and Again with my buddy Chris. We've been talking pop music since before we could grow chest hair and now that our chest hair is graying we're still talking about it. I don't think there's anything else. So until we are ready to wonder what are they even championing again? Everybody, thank you so much for joining us for Exodus for Podcast and we'll see you soon. Bye! Bye! Thank you.